Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Welcome to the Market Watch Podcast by Amplify Live where you can access the latest market insights with me, Anthony Chung, the Head of Market Analysis, and joined by our Head of Trading, Piers Curran, getting you up to speed on what mattered in markets this week. Hey, hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Market Watch from Amplify. And it's actually coming up to 5pm. So we are recording this way later than normal. And why is that, Piers? This is like it's like the night shift almost. <laughs> we're we're yeah. recording it this late because ooh, it has been a very, very, very uh, busy day. Are you are you chugging back a beer there? Sorry, guys. I've just seen on our Zoom uh, video call a green bottle. Is that Piers, a beer? I don't. I, Piers, I don't drink alcohol. That is a green bottle in the shape of a beer bottle that contains water. You're 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 fooling no one. <laughs> I like it. I mean, it's well deserved after today. We've had a pretty epic um, day where we've been, uh, well, not only dealing with a certain um, major economic event in the shape of non-farm payrolls that we'll we'll talk about, but um, yeah, we've been. I mean, we've had uh, we've been delivering six separate um, programs today. So you know, right from. Uh, Credit Suisse, EMEA internship program, Credit Suisse America uh, internship program. We've been delivering a program for the Bahrainis, for York University, you name it. It's been um, been a busy one. Um, But yeah, we can relax and just uh, put our feet up and and have a chat on the pod, right? And chug chug beer. So so I might as well, you know, put on Andy Murray. (laughs) <laughs> Not sure if he's come out yet, but he's due um, on third on center tonight. Yeah. Have you been watching um, his first two matches? I have. Yes, indeed. I love it. I've just, you know, the, the last part of the, the match the other day, uh, that's what it's all about, isn't it? It was just amazing. Just great to see like that. I mean, tennis is such an odd game. It's, it's so fine, the margin between... Yeah. 
you know, technically they're all good. It's just so psychological. It's unreal. And to see the shifts and swings. Yeah. And uh, I honestly thought, like I thought Federer the other day, I thought he was out. And then it just, well, that's it. Experience tells. And you know, Murray's only had two tour matches before Wimbledon. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it is crazy. You can't, well, you can't, you can't write these champions off. That's why they're champions, right? Yeah. But what I love about watching Murray is ah, he makes it so hard for himself. <laughs> just, which makes for fantastic viewing because you're literally living every shot with it. And like, like the, the, the match earlier in the week, he was either wildly celebrating with the crowd and fist pumps and whatever else. And then the next point he's berating himself by shouting and screaming because he's missed a shot. I mean, he, he does, he does uh, wear his heart on his sleeve, which makes for, which makes for great entertainment. Yeah. But interestingly that when he gets more emotional, he plays better. Yeah. Definitely. Absolutely. When he's emotionally engaged, his game improves. And so, I know, well, I assume he knows that. Of course he does, which is why he does rev up the crowd and which is why he does shout at himself when he's hit a bad shot because that's his way of getting the maximum out of himself, right? It's a, bit, it's a little bit like Pierce Curran on the trading floor. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like a little bit like that in the entirely I, opposite way. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I think uh, I'm trying to find a, what would be a sports person maybe you'd be more in a tennis world like a stefan edberg if someone was old <laughs> enough to remember uh, more like a, like a steve davis more like a steve davis now we're talking <laughs> uh, i'm imagining most people won't know who no. steve davis is but google it so, so bring it snookering bring- legend anyway so bringing it, yeah, you certainly not a Jimmy White, that's for sure. But um, bringing it back more to the, the current day, let's have it then. What do you reckon on Saturday night? What's the score? Well, I mean, well, you're talking obviously England here, right? And the yeah. uh, and the big matchup, well, not so big matchup. Um, I mean, the big game was was the Germany game, right? On paper, I'm talking now. I mean, that was on paper the hardest game between the second round and the final, which is, which is always a little bit dangerous because you kind of get over that mountain and the euphoria is so huge. And then, of course, you take your foot off the pedal for the next match because they're not as good. And then, obviously, you, you slip on that banana skin. However, um, I, I now think England will go all the way. There is. As I think they'll dispatch Ukraine on Saturday with quite comfortably and i'm liking what i'm seeing and we're yeah, traveling and to the final i agree uh whether we can seal the deal um we'll see but i definitely so um sister-in-law is down this weekend and so got a free pass tonight so you gotta pop out with the missus have some food and she said to me do you not want to stay at home watch the game and i said no nah, you're okay the boys are going to win, no problemo. <laughs> and I thought to myself, I don't want to be one of those guys. This isn't, this isn't complacency. This is a mental framework of confidence. Yeah. They're going to wow. do it. That's it. They're going to beat Ukraine. Come on. Let's be serious here. 
Well, I agree. And I actually think in many ways that win against Germany has changed the um, mindset of the nation. You know, when you're watching that match, the crowd, like in the first sort of 10, 20 minutes, the the crowd, I mean, you're just watching it through the TV, but the tension was like palpable. And that's because we've lived on decades worth of failure. And so when we're on the brink of doing something, we, we panic. And that obviously just feeds onto the pitch and then the players panic. And I think we finally overcame that on Tuesday. And I, and I actually think there's a new mindset here for not only for the players, which is obviously important, but actually for the supporters. Um, yeah. And Gareth Southgate. Yeah. Right. Put his demons to bed in style. Yeah. That's right. That's how we do it. <laughs> right. Now that's concluded. And that really is the major news of the week. <laughs> yeah. Can we, we, well, we can end it here. So uh, have a good weekend. Uh... <laughs> we'll see you for the world, for the Euro update and the Wimbledon <laughs> update and the NBA finals as well, kicking off soon. The Phoenix, Phoenix Suns back in the finals since Charles Obviously. Barkley met Michael Jordan in 93. So it's all going off in the sports world. But let's get back onto markets and talk a little bit about I'm looking at my charts. I can see them in front of me right now. And the NASDAQ 100 is just still going higher, record highs again. The S&P is just literally printing green, flashing on my screen right now, 43.31. I think there was a little bit of um, apprehension going into non-farm payrolls today. So for any of those who didn't manage to catch the live session that we did at Amplify, if you go onto YouTube, just punch in Amplify Trading. And if you go to, you'll be able to see it quite prominent. There was a live recording that we did at the moment it came out. But to give you the summary, going into payrolls today, people were expecting um, a, good, a good report, kind of like people expect England to beat Ukraine. <laughs> and so there is a little bit of vulnerability to, well, what if that doesn't happen and the emotional impact that that could have? And that's kind of how it plays out in a sense of market positioning. So the signs were kind of indicating that, that the US economy is heading in the right direction. Um, COVID cases, yes, they're increasing, like they are in the UK, but hospitalizations and subsequent deaths are very low. And so this is allowing reopening processes to continue. Two weeks ago, large density population areas like New York, California, we're reopening en masse with dropping of a lot of the lockdown measures. And so things like leisure, hospitality, they're going to be the biggest benefactors of that, really pick up pace. So people are expecting a big number. And the headline came in at 850,000. Expectation was for 700K. And what did the market do in its initial reaction? Stocks actually dropped. <laughs> Yields spiked, the dollar spiked higher, and actually it was the complete opposite result of actually what has ended up being the end reaction. If you watch the recording, you'll be able to see the market flipped within the minute of the release. So Piers, perhaps you could explain a little bit then to, to, to the listeners of why is that? Why do you have this kind of reaction function where there's a knee-jerk initial move on interpretation of the initial announcement, but then there's a post move that have, can happen quite quickly. Yeah. And this is, you know, this is kind of very short term 
market uh, reactions to what are scheduled, um, you know, top level tier one, let's call it economic data announcements. And this is where your uh, algorithmic trading systems are fully hooked up and plugged in. And these algorithms are obviously pre-programmed to uh, react to the information flow when it's announced and to then place trades automatically uh, based on the outcome of that announcement. And so you get these algos that are plugged up to like, you know, your Bloomberg, and then they're also plugged into the exchange. And so they're, they're reacting in a microsecond. That's a millionth of a second. They're reacting to that top level number. Um, so that's your non-farm payrolls number. And that was much better than expected. And so you, you just then, the, the algorithm, which is pre-programmed by a human being, goes through that process of analysis, which is, okay, non-farm payrolls number higher than expected. Therefore, you know, whilst that's good news on the one hand from an economic point of view, it means, yes, the Fed are right to turn more hawkish and perhaps tapering is going to start sooner and perhaps the, you know, the ending of the kind of stimulative cycle is going to start sooner. And so that's why that first reaction is very much triggered by that. And that's the reaction in the first seconds, right? And that is then dollar strength, that stock's going lower. That's about that monetary policy um, outcome from a bullish uh, jobs data release. And so that's that's what happened. But then these algos are booking profit, you know, straight away. We're talking about seconds here. And then it's actually the kind of human beings who aren't plugged in with algos who are then actually drilling down and analyzing the information, not just the headline non-farm payrolls number. There's a whole raft of pieces of information in the US jobs report. And, you know, these humans were then going through all the rest of it and sifting through it and, you know, finding nuances. And, and actually, it was a mixed report. And we'll talk about it in the detail in a minute. But, you know, the unemployment rate actually came in um, higher than expected. So the unemployment rate jumped. And I think that's probably what then led to the reversal. And that's what's led to then you know, the dollar actually in the end weakening and now stocks, you know, pushing and making new highs. It's almost like that sweet spot in, in a way where you've got some good news. So that's good from the economic point of view, but you've also got some bad news in there, which just then takes the fear away from that, that hawkish Fed scenario. So that's what happened. Now, the question is, will it continue? Um, but do you want to drill into the numbers a little bit? Okay, so breaking down the report and having a look at it um, kind of line by line, there's definitely a hierarchy order, as we kind of described, first in, first out, algo type reaction. And so the headline is always going to generate that first interest and 850 um, above the expected 700. The top end of the range, though, and this is the first point to, to note, was 1.05 million. So it wasn't that great. If anything, for me, it's a good it's a it's a it's a good number for markets yeah. because it's a positive economic step it's in the solid. right direction. It's solid, but it's not amazing enough that just on this metric alone, that it's really going to change up the thinking at the Fed. Now to, to second and third that uh, rationale, the unemployment rate came in at the high end of expectation. So the wrong end as far as what the headlines suggested. So yeah. More people in jobs is good, but more unemployed is bad. And it came in at 5.9%, previously 57 That was the top end of the analyst range. 
the average hourly earnings 0.1 miss both month on month and year on year. Now, one of the points I was making prior to the release coming out was that if you go back, do you remember like two or three years ago, obsession about average hourly earnings? It was like, what is the average hourly earnings? It was like, you can forget this very consistent 200K headline print. I want to know about future inflation and you know, where are wages at this point as a kind of precursor of that. I would say now the game's changed. And actually, this is much more a definable job metric response that we're looking for. And I would say that that's likely going to continue to be the case because there's a big gap. Even with the 850, we're still roughly 6.8, 6.9 million jobs short of closing the pre-pandemic gap to the impact that that had on the jobs market in the US. So from the numbers for me, and definitely you know, hold me to it, go back and have a look at that recording, I thought it was quite clear that the market would reverse the initial spike because to me, this report really hits the sweet spot to a certain degree where it's a positive economic development, but it definitely does not shift the center ground at the Fed, which is we're holding the line and I'm not going to be influenced by these outlying hawks with their repeated hawkish commentary that we've heard this week. I'm going to hold it in the fact that we're doing the right thing. The timeline remains intact as far as tapering hints are concerned. And we've already communicated a dot plot. And so it's a holding pattern. And it was quite clear from a correlation point of view, equity certainly liked it. And I was a little bit scenario planning that if we got a 1.5 million plus knockout the park figure with a decrease in unemployment, well, the way these equities, particularly the NASDAQ has ramped up this week, that looks susceptible to quite the pullback short term. Not to say the upward trend will continue, but it obviously, if anything, this is the perfect cocktail for equities, if you like. And that was really largely reflected in the other subsequent asset class movement. But to finish, if you look at the dollar, if you look at gold, and if you look at T-notes, and you look at stocks, was there an event today? I didn't quite <laughs> realize. And so important to note, you said it earlier, it's important to understand that there are different types of market participants in this marketplace. And if I was a fund manager, um, you know, who cares about today, quite frankly, and it doesn't yeah. change my outlook at all, I would say. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, I mean, looking through the asset classes, I mean, yes, the dollar in the end weakened, but let's be honest, these big currency pairs, they've hardly moved. Um, uh, T notes, I mean, literally are trading, you know, not far off where we were before the numbers. And so actually, of all the asset classes, it is stocks that have moved the most here. And, you know, we were bullish anyway, coming into today and and, and this. Yeah. And, and like that, that finer detail, yes, the, you know, the average hourly earnings numbers missing, you know, that that's that. That's that positive bonus here, you know, in terms of, um, you know, it's not going to force the Fed to become more hawkish. And so there's a bit of relief there in this stock market reaction. What I would say about that unemployment number, um, you've got to be a little bit careful with these. And I know I'm really splitting hairs a little bit here, but yes, the unemployment number jumped, right? Higher than expected. It was like, wow, okay, we weren't, that's a surprise. But actually a lot of the, um, a lot of that movement. So actually, there were 164,000 
people added to the unemployment list because they voluntarily quit their job. Now, when we look at labor market trends, you know, one of the things, one, one surefire sign of a really strong labor market is when people start quitting. And they're, they're quitting because they're confident that they can easily step into another job that actually might be paying more. So it's a really good sign of, of a healthy labor market, that quit rate. And so what I would just temper that jump in unemployment a little bit and say, actually, you know what? Whilst on the face of it, that looks like bad news. You could easily flip it and say, actually, that's really good news. So, uh, so I think that, you know, whilst I get this relief rally going on in stocks and, uh, you know, euphoric end to what's been a really bullish week, um, you know, I think that unemployment rate movement there, I think we need to monitor that. I think the, I think the labor market is building momentum. And it's just whether in the months to come, how much that rate of momentum increases. And ultimately, that'll just define the, the, Fed, the Fed's timing. Yeah. And another kind of follow-up point to that, it kind of makes me feel like there's going to be this inevitable push up in, in wages and people are going to get worried, start thinking about inflation again, which I think is totally inappropriate because ultimately, when you look at the um, imbalance of the job market, it was hospitality and leisure that got obviously decimated through having zero ability to operate in restaurants, bars, theaters, these sorts of things. And they're the ones where the predominant amount of jobs are. And I have seen you know, uh, reports about them having to really high tick a lot of the roles that yeah. would typically be minimum wage in America. Um, but that's not going to last forever, of course. Yeah. Um, and, I, and, and that's a good point because, yeah, I mean, there were what, 300, I think it was 343,000 jobs so of that 850, 343,000 were leisure and hospitality. And, you know, as we've been talking about in previous episodes, some of these leisure and hospitality businesses have been finding it next to impossible to actually hire. Um, and I was reading other great examples. There's this uh, restaurant called Shrimp Basket. Uh, they've got 20, uh, 20 locations. Oh yeah, I love that. I love that. You know what? I'm going to pop out straight after this call. And grab myself some uh, some shrimp basket. Sign me up. Um, I don't know where they are in the states. I don't know what state or states. Anyway, they've got 20 restaurants. Anyway, they've been desperately trying to hire, you know, especially for the summer rush and so on. And they've gone as far out. I mean, they were offering more money, and still no one coming for interviews. And and they got so desperate, they actually they they came up with a brilliant, innovative. Um, way of attracting attention and now they have a um they're raffling off a new sport utility vehicle to new hires this car's worth 23 grand and anybody who who joins them this summer you're in the hat and you could you could score yourself a 23 grand uh car can, so I, can, I, work, that... can I work remotely or <laughs> yeah i'm not sure your table service uh remotely would be up to scratch to be honest maybe, maybe i could just you know take care of the menu and uh but the point is you know on this you know on it's the lower end of the wage uh, of the income bracket that, that carries the big powerful sort of force on the economic system and you know it's great to see that these um, you know, the lower end of the wage bracket wages are rising and it's important and it's all part of that wealth divide um, gap narrowing. And that's great. And I think that can, and that, that does have a positive inflation 
impact for sure. But as you were hinting at a minute ago, uh, you know, I think whilst that is inflationary, you know, I don't think it's uh, a powerful enough inflationary force to, to in the end, uh, sustain this inflation spike. And so I'm still a believer that this inflation spike is transitory. And, um, you know, we're just working through that temporary spike still, but come back end of the summer, um, I'm sure these inflation concerns will start to uh, drift away as that inflation, those inflation prints start coming back down. Okay, well, look, let's let's move on. There's one other area that's been a talking point, and that's been OPEC. And you know, we're sitting here, it's gone 5 p.m., and I can see the information ticking down. Uh, they're still in their ministerial meetings. They should have all been wrapped up 24 hours ago, but what's happened here is is actually not uncommon when you track OPEC information, which is there's been a bit of a disagreement between the powers that be, that being Russia and Saudi Arabia. And what's happened here is that because each one is, it's kind of like um, being in a game of poker and you kind of know each other's hands. So you're willing to push um, as far as you possibly can. And it just really comes down to Russia facing less budgetary pressures than a Saudi Arabia faced with the proposition of trying to diversify its economy long-term yeah. and a loss of control over the ability to have uh, such a firm grasp on dictating oil price on a global level. So that's the bigger picture. And so right now then, Russia essentially can operate at a, a lower price point. So they can, um, at this point in time, you know, they're in the money and they would like to pump more oil, please, if I can. Whereas for Saudi Arabia, they've always been through this period of the pandemic, much more hesitant to stand in and support prices. They mentioned about COVID and the Delta variant and the global solution to COVID rather than more focused on the US and mainland Europe and so forth. The bottom line is oil has moved in two days from a 72 handle we printed up at nearly 76 and a half. Uh, this was predominantly on Thursday's trading session. So oil's trading a multi-year high, highest it's been in since 2018. Um, and it's come on the back of the fact that a lot of people were thinking on the balance, we've got a fairly tight market at the minute comparative to the pickup in demand that we're seeing on gradual reopenings in major centers globally and impact that will have on demand. They're going to bring back some more supply. The general expectation was 500K, and it's looking like they're going to fall short of that and clock in at 400,000 barrels per day reintroduced each month from August to December. And the market took that as a bullish signal. Any yeah. thoughts at all on, on OPEC matters this week? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I, I think all of these OPEC nations they've well and every nation on the planet actually whether you produce oil or not um clearly the covid situation has been um incredibly difficult for governments from a funding point of view with emergency fiscal stimulus sending um you know government debt to gdp ratios just through the roof and, and so when you're looking at these oil producers you know this this oil price has been marching north you know all year 
And the, the further it goes and the further it goes, well, of course, on the one hand, the better that is for these producers in terms of, you know, revenue flow and being able to refill the coffers from their COVID um, emergency stimulus packages. So I, I think that as we've gone through the year, I think they've handled it very well. I think they've managed the market well by being cautionary and, you know, not getting ahead of themselves. I think like Russia, they perhaps are a little bit, they want to be a little bit quicker to go, look, prices are higher, let's pump more so we can make more money. Whereas the Saudis are going, well, look, this COVID thing's not over yet. And so if we go too early here, all this hard work we've done to kind of trend prices higher could be unraveled, you know, in a few weeks. And so, you know, I think that I think they've got the balance right here. They, they've engineered a situation where, and we'll see, we don't have the official news, but if it's 400,000, um, an increase of 400,000 a month, you know, through to the end of the year, then look, they've got, they've got this scenario where they can slowly build up production whilst maintaining prices at what are really high levels. And you said the 2018 high, but I mean, really, we're right testing that and, you know, pretty much trading the highest we have since 2014. Um, really, but we're you know right up around those kind of the, the double top in 2018 and, and WTI crude and what's something that else just as a slight tangent WTI crude, um, which is the US version if you like, um, the spread between that and Brent crude has narrowed quite dramatically. And actually, we've got the narrowest spread between the two that we've had for years, and a lot of that is due to Cushing supply dropping. But I'm getting into the finer details here. But yeah, I mean, I think. I think oil prices are at 75 bucks and they look stable and it doesn't look like OPEC and the OPEC plus and their kind of announcements and decision making here today is going to change what is a very bullish market. And, you know, I think $80 is another key level. That was a really important double bottom in 2011. If you can remember back that far, 2011 and 2012, I should say. Um, and so 80 bucks is quite important. And that's, you know, that's the price point I'm looking for. And I think we can, uh, we can get to. Yeah. And the other factor here, just as a side point is Iran and the market when it was going through a bit of a down phase, uh, just a few weeks ago was in anticipation of this expected return of supply of Iran. There's different factors here, but on the top level, they were due to meet in Vienna to reconvene a seventh round of talks to Western powers in Iran. Didn't happen. Not interested at this point. And that again puts off that that slight fear about the return of, of crude, whether it is um, done via production rates or I was reading about the the amount of oil that Iran actually has parked with guess who? Mr. China, that they've deposited apparently 200 million barrels. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of other um cloak and dagger agreements between those two nations because a big purchase of obviously sanctioned the Iran's crude was yeah. the Chinese, which again plays into that bigger um, geopolitical context of the ongoing um, kind of situation in the US and China. But yeah, that's another point to consider. But look, I think we should wrap it up there. Um, it's Friday. It's sunny. Yeah. And you're, on to, you're on to your third beer already <laughs> just whilst we've been talking. I need to play catch up here. I, I wish that was the case, but uh, no, not, not quite. But um, yeah, wish everyone a fantastic weekend. Um, I do know that for a lot of the students, uh, applications open for, for Goldman's, for, I think for RBC, UBS, a few others perhaps. So 
good luck, stay positive. It's going to happen. Um, and hopefully these episodes give you a little bit of an edge in knowing what's going on in the market right now. Absolutely. Here, here. All right. Well, enjoy the weekend. Come on, England. Come on, Andy. We can do it. Can I just end on the worst sport chant in the world? When Andy Murray gets going, the crowd start going, let's go, Andy, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like, what? Is that the it's just, it's just not. you can come it, up with? It's just not Tiger Tim, is it? It's just not. <laughs> <laughs> All right, on that note, have a good Catch weekend, everyone. See ya. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.